there. I'm Dr. Gabe Lowe, and welcome to the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. This is a show that is less interested in answering life's difficult questions and more interested in the process of wrestling with them. This podcast is a forum to celebrate the messiness that makes us human. It is a place to invite the unanswerable questions because often it is precisely these types of questions that push us to dig deeper, to think harder, and to refine our approach to life. So, if you get to the end of the episode and you still have lots of questions, then I've done my job. I invite you on the pursuit of no answers. Today I'm talking with the founder and president of Soul Leader Resources, a nonprofit whose mission is to empower wholeness in pastors, leaders, churches, and organizations. He addresses a variety of topics on formation from a holistic perspective, spiritual, emotional, relational, mental, physical, cultural, and missional, and he is passionate about self-awareness and integration as it relates to leadership and spiritual growth. He has also served as a pastor in a variety of roles, has been a church planter and executive director, and currently he is also affiliate assistant professor of Christian spirituality and ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary. Our topic today explores the question of what a whole and flourishing life is, and what does that look like in the midst of uncertainty and self-exploration. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Michael Bischoff. Dr. Michael Bischoff, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you or collaborate a little bit on Soul Leader, and uh, I, I'm so excited to have you here today talking about wholeness and certainty. That's sort of the the two catchphrase catchwords that we're sort of talking about. So. The topic that you have or that you sent me is wholeness does not mean certainty. Uh, and so I just want to start off, you know, wholeness is a word that can mean different things to different people. Um, you studied wholeness in your dissertation. You work with churches and leadership around the idea of holistic formation. Um, how do you conceptualize wholeness? And is it something that is just for leaders or this, is this for everybody? Yeah, great question, Gabe. Good to be with you too. Thanks for the invitation to be on the podcast. Um, I love this subject and I have to reflect a lot because I'm not exactly sure how I ended up spending so much time thinking about it and writing about it and training on it. But I, I do know that um, when it comes to um, this whole issue of wholeness, that it really uh, the, the concept of wholeness comes from the same root as health. It's this mm. old word, Hal, um, like Hal and Hardy. Uh, it's not a phrase we use much anymore, but I, I love that. So when we think of wholeness, we're really getting at health. So if we talk about, is it just for leaders or is it for everybody? I'd say, well, that's like saying is health just for some people and not for other people. No, it's for everybody. And while I work with a lot of leaders, I absolutely love being able to talk about this, uh, this topic and be able to interact with and train and provide resources for people that are looking to get healthy, which is another way of saying how do we get or become more whole in our ministry as soul leader resources and again i've been doing this ministry for 20 years we just celebrated our 20th anniversary wow. anniversary and uh -huh. we're pretty excited about that it's a little hard year to do that to celebrate a 20th anniversary <laughs> 20 but we're in 2020 <laughs> 20th anniversary in 2020 yeah 
goodness, how memorable is that? But um, yeah, we we spend a lot of time with churches and with pastors and with spiritual leaders, and I targeted them because I I was one um, and am one. Um, but being that myself, and it started off for me, and at a real early age, I ended up going through eight months of clinical depression. And I really hit a wall and I realized that I didn't have what it took to be healthy or to be whole. In fact, I couldn't continue doing this for very long. And that forced me into thinking, wow, what am I going to do to address the issues in my own life of, in this case, depression, Mm -hmm. but how can I ever be helpful to others if I can't be whole myself? So that was many years ago that happened, but that's how I ended up starting an organization that's really directed at the wholeness and health of leaders and individuals was through my own pain and my own struggle and yeah eight months of really dark depression that taught me a lot and i'm really thankful for that Um, even though we go through hard times in life how can we get to a place where we can be thankful and grateful for the lessons we learn from it. And for me, that definitely did that. I've told that story hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. I tell that story in depth often when I'm live with groups and it tends to minister to people where I've had people come up to me and say, oh, can I tell you a story I struggle with? And then they'll share their issue that has been hard in their life. Sometimes it's depression, often it's anxiety. Sometimes it's an addiction of some sort or any kind of thing. But then what I'm trying to say is how do we move from that? None of us are perfect. How do we move from this place of hurt, of brokenness, of pain, or however you might want to define that toward greater wholeness. So it gives us something to think about. It gives us some, a vision to focus on that yeah. wholeness is a good thing. Wholeness, in fact, is embedded in language. This is one of the things that I love about it. Um, I don't think English has good words for it, but other languages have some really good words for it. Hebrew, for example, has the word shalom. Mm-hmm. Many people know the word shalom as meaning peace, but it means so much more than peace as the absence of conflict or or the absence of war. Shalom has the sense of meaning deep integration, um, deep completion, deep connectedness. And so when someone would offer someone in a Hebrew context, a Jewish context, offer shalom, they weren't just saying peace, like we might say, hey, peace out today or something, you know, silly little phrase. <laughs> they were offering a deep and meaningful sense of blessing. And I love that, right? There's a depth in that language. Um, the Greeks had another word, uh, teleos, which means Jesus in the Bible has this really unique phrase where he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I've always claimed to be like a, a type A workaholic driven perfectionist who doesn't want to be that way. And so when I saw that verse, I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like Jesus says be perfect. So I've got a goal to strive for, right? I want to be a perfectionist. And sure. yet when I learned later on that what he was saying, was not this Western sense of perfectionism that many of us know, you know, that we have to strive for and have no faults in our lives or never make mistakes or not fail. No, it was back to the same concept of wholeness or integration Mm. um, and completion and connection. And that's the concept of teleos. Mm. And I could go on with language, but there's just a couple examples of how fun it is to be able to, maybe within language, again, some of the words I've used like integrity or completeness or maturity start to get it what I mean Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. 
uh, by by wholeness. And and maybe it's best captured even in a metaphor um, rather than direct words. One of the ones that is often used, and I absolutely love this concept, it comes from the Japanese art over 500 years old, is a concept called kintsugi. And some of your listeners might have heard about this, but it's the art of repairing broken pottery by Mm. mending the cracks, by mending the places where that pottery has been broken with a lacquer that has been dusted or mixed with either powdered gold or silver or platinum. So what you get is this piece of pottery that's been put back together after being broken, shattered. You know, the fragments have been picked up and Mm -hmm. then it's been mended. But now it looks beautiful and actually the cracks contribute to the beauty of that piece of art rather yeah, than like detract that. from it isn't that good <laughs> that's really cool yeah i actually haven't heard of of that specific art form but yeah no i think that's a, a beautiful metaphor uh and so obviously you know you've you've thought about this a lot and you know you have different inputs guiding your your way of thinking about this idea of wholeness or the other word that comes to mind is flourishing. Um, But, you know, I sort of want to rewind the clock a little bit because this is something that you took a look at in your dissertation. How did you get turned on to this idea and and how did you sort of conceptualize it in, in the first place? Yeah, thank you. In addition to the story I just shared about, you know, my own going through this place of pain, which kind of personally drove me to find different approaches to things, right? Not just answers, but different approaches to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed at the time, um, and this was back in the, in the late 90s that I started thinking about this and, and, and into the early 2000s, but there was a lot of talk about formation, at least in the circles that I was running in. But most of it seemed very kind of one-sided or narrowly focused. Um, I'd worked with an organization that talked a lot about spiritual formation. They did spiritual formation for leaders um, from all over the place, all kinds of leaders. There were church leaders, school leaders, uh, community leaders, government leaders, and they did great at bringing us to a retreat center and helping us understand how to pay attention to spiritual formation. So we would have great space created to be able to spend time with God, to be in a retreat, to spend time in solitude and silence and some real wonderful things. And so I would say, yeah, my spiritual formation greatly increased. But what I was noticing was, and these were progressive retreats over a period of time, over a couple year period of time, there were four or five, six retreats that we would be a part of. But I noticed that the leaders would come back, the participants would come back, and they tended to be struggling with the exact same things that they were struggling with during the last retreat or even last year. I noticed some had been part of this process. They had doubled up and gone even longer than the two-year process. They had been in it for four years and were still asking the same questions and struggling with the same things. Now that bothered me. Um, And I sat down with one of the leaders of um, a bunch of, there was like a leader of leaders, right? There was an executive that worked with a bunch of the leaders that were part of this journey Mm -hmm. together. And I asked him one day and I said, why do you think this is that, that so many of your leaders, really all of your leaders seem to be struggling with the exact same things that they came in here with four years ago? We're talking about great things, good areas of formation. Could it be that we're missing and not addressing 
other areas of formation. So for example, in this retreat, we were looking at the spiritual, but we didn't spend much time talking about emotional issues, the kinds of things that were going on, right? Family of origin issues, the kind of baggage we might call it that we all have in our lives and need to face and need to process. But we didn't talk about that. Or relationships. We weren't spending a lot of time talking about relationships in our lives and practically how the spiritual maybe affects those deeply. And there, there were others. We weren't talking about how to live with a sense of purpose in our communities or how we might focus on those things. And so while the things we were talking about were great, they weren't addressing things from what I'm going to call a holistic perspective. And that really bothered me. And so I started thinking, what would it be like if instead of looking at just one area of formation, in this case, spiritual formation, we looked at emotional formation and Mm -hmm. relational formation and physical formation and mental formation and what I like to call missional formation or what could be sometimes called vocational formation. What if we broadened that out and looked at all of those things? Could it be more helpful? So that's where I started in my doctoral program working on thinking about all of the different dimensions of formation. And what happened is my world just exploded at that point. And I was working with a mentor who had spent a lot of time thinking through the concept of wholeness and what that looks like. And he just pulled the plugs for me and he said, yeah, this is great. Go for it. So I was able to spend two years uh, reading and researching and writing on this subject because it was a passion of mine to figure out what does it look like? Now, certain people are drawn to seeing the parts um, Mm -hmm. and others are better at seeing the whole. And for some reason, I've always felt drawn to seeing both. I love dealing with the parts because you can't understand the whole if you don't deal with the parts. Um, but you also can't deal with the parts if, if the parts aren't going to go anywhere if you don't realize that they need to be seen holistically or as part of a whole. So that's what was behind it uh, in terms of the writing. I did spend two years writing on that and literally have spent the last 15 to 17 years maybe drawing that out and doing uh, a hard work of uh, working with uh, people and leaders and organizations working on these concepts. Yeah, yeah. You know, something I appreciate about you, you know, it's not just all academic for you that you speak from uh, some of these experiences that you have on the ground working with leaders or, or observing some of these trends that you're talking about. So talk a little bit about what maybe in your experience you see as some of the challenges that maybe leaders have with uncertainty. You know, what, what do you think maybe makes it difficult to say things like, I don't know, or I don't have an answer for you? Um, and why do you think that's maybe something that we as a human species have have difficulty with as well? Yeah, that is an important question. It's a hard question too, uh, for sure, to, to figure out because I don't think there's just one approach to that in understanding. If I were to kind of reduce it down to a, a minimum, I think I would go after the reality that feeling certain allows us to feel like we're in control. Mm. And if we're honest, so many of us are control freaks. Um, yeah. I, I just think that's what it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, an, another way to look at that would be to think through the, about the concept of power uh, and knowledge is power. And we want to be powerful. 
And so these two concepts of control and power, I think, bring us to a place. Now, most of us, I don't think, would want to admit that. Maybe our self-awareness isn't great enough that it's easy to even admit those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's why we have difficulty saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, another contributing factor, I think many of us maybe have been taught by or sat under people who told us certain things. Maybe these are teachers, maybe they're our parents, maybe they're pastors or other spiritual leaders, but told us that we needed to have certainty or we weren't smart or we weren't seeing things from the right perspective or we didn't have faith or we didn't know the answers, right? This is why I love the title of your podcast, right? (laughs) Because there's this reality that we've been told we have to have answers. And yet many of us are coming to the place or have come to a place where we're like, really? Is that what we need is the answers? But if we've been told that by someone and they, and we respected them, they're an authority in our life. That's an intimidating thing to challenge, right? Within our own psyche to go against those authority figures who told us that we had to see things a certain way. Um, in reality, I don't think we've had many or any examples, maybe for some of us, um, of people in our lives who were okay with uncertainty. Uh, in other words, we haven't had good role models or examples. Um, but just saying, I don't know, or staying in a place of weakness or humility uh, so and so on uh, are a real healthy way to be able to live. And yet if we've never seen that, by example, I've never had a mentor who knows that it's okay to be in a place of weakness, that mm-hmm. it's okay to go through a time of suffering and difficulty and not control it and, and not ramp up and try to be powerful over it or to have all the answers to describe it. Um, that's what um, I think really contributes to this issue. And, and to go deeper for, for those of your listeners that look at these things from a spiritual context or even a Christian context, I think we often put God in a box in some pretty huge ways. I heard someone, I was part of a group that said something last week and I love this analogy. They said, most of us, we've got, we all have got God in a box, whatever our perception of God is, but maybe the best we do when we think we've grown is we just put him in a little bigger box. And so over time, our growth becomes putting God in one box, but then we just put him in a bigger box. And then maybe a year later, we grow a little bit more, but he's in another box. It's just a little bigger box. So they're almost like Russian nesting boxes, right, (laughs) of of God. But the point is we keep God back under control, our control to Mm -hmm. what we understand. And that's some of this issue with certainty or uncertainty. In fact, a book I read a couple of years ago that was very helpful for me in this regard is by Pete Enns and is a book called The Sin of Certainty, mm-hmm. where he expands on these things. And his basic premise is that, yeah, this is an issue. Or why he would even call it a sin is because he says, God, when we do that, if we're trying to reduce God down that we want to control him, that's not right. You can't reduce God down to that, and none of us should do that. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we might do that, but those are some of the foundational ones I've found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can certainly resonate with with some of the things that you said. I remember growing up uh, in a church context, and um, you know, nothing against apologetics, but you know, there's it. it, it um, the the message that I got was you have to have an answer for everything. You have to have right. uh, the evidence and the facts and be able to argue logically and uh, be able to defend the faith. Um, and, 
you know, I think sort of what it created was sort of this binary view of either you know or you don't know. Um, there's no middle ground. There's no gray. There's no room for journeying. There's no room right. for development. Uh, and so I think that's you know, something that I, I appreciate you pointing out. Yeah. In fact, one of the books that comes to mind, right, when you talk about this area of apologetics, it was a big deal for me in my education and growing up as well. But an, an author from, I think, your alma mater wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict, <laughs> a couple of books, right? Sure. And and I remember reading those books and it was like, oh, this is awesome because he's mm-hmm. going to give me evidence that yeah. I can then use to prove and convince other people that what I believe is right or true. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet that's so limiting. And I think what we've seen over time is a real change, a, a morphine of going, is that really the way that we want to come at our beliefs or mm-hmm. our values or the things that we hold to be true uh, in our lives or our view of God or whatever the case would be. And doesn't our own testimony, doesn't our own story, uh, doesn't our own narrative feed into that in such a way that maybe that becomes important and you can't reduce this down to a court of law, but argue certain facts and points. And so I think some people started to realize, yeah, this can be a real damaging way um, Mm -hmm. to defend things. Again, I, I, I can't help but go to this concept of power and control in wanting to defend the things I believe so that you believe them so we all can be certain about the same things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't feel right in our generation today. And I think rightly so. So when I think of my own journey of wrestling with this idea of certainty or wrestling with, you know, what is my faith built on or what is, what are my beliefs built on? You know, I, I think about all the things that cause doubt or all the things that challenged or, or bucked up against what, how I perceive the world, my worldview, my perspectives. What was your journey like uh, sort of being I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe disillusioned or, or uh, bringing to a point of questioning or really digging or, or, or searching, um, you know, what was that process like for you? Or maybe you're still in that process of um, wrestling with this idea of old views that you used to have being challenged. Yeah, it's good. You have to be able to let some of those things go. I am still wrestling with it. Yeah. I wish I could say, yeah, I've arrived. I figured out the answers to that one. No, I, you know, I feel like I have been going through a process literally over the last at least 20, if not 25 years of what's sometimes called deconstruction, you know, taking things apart. Sometimes it's called disorder and embracing that. Um, There are various ways to look at that. Uh, Sometimes it's called disorientation. And there's these kind of, you know, how do we move from order to disorder to reorder, from deconstruction to reconstruction, or from orientation to disorientation to reorientation? I think this is a process many of us go through. So I feel like I'm still very much in this process of disorientation or deconstruction. And that's okay. I've had to give myself permission to live in that, even though so many of the people I work around and the leaders I work with don't want that. They want something far more solid. They don't want to hear about doubt. 
they want to hear about certainty again. So this has been a struggle. So I've been, yeah, I've been thinking about this a long time, but two years ago, in 2018, I, I took a sabbatical and I'd never had a sabbatical in my professional life. Not a good thing um, for, for people because I recommend to leaders all the time that they should take a sabbatical. And I never had, I, it was just hypocritical for me. Thankfully, I had the space to be able to do that and step away for a time. And during that, I was able to really engage at a new level um, some of these things and have to figure out, can I be okay with doubting some of the things that I've believed for years, really in decades. And I, I did some new reading, like the book I mentioned earlier. I tried to be listening to some podcasts and people that would help me on this journey to realize that it's doubt is okay. Um, it, for many of us, doubt has been made bad, um, right? Or uh, literally like evil, like doubt is the sin rather than, you know, our certainty is the sin. Sure. And I had to give myself permission to realize I can ask hard questions. For me, this during this time in my sabbatical, I started on a Sunday and the following week, my mom passed away. So wow. I was going through a time of deep uh, grief and loss. So now it was sort of a long time coming. She had been dying a long, slow death, but this caused me to face some kind of questions of ultimate reality in ways I hadn't before, right? I'm thinking about heaven and you know, those kinds of realities that often don't think about unless someone we love passes away. So now I'm in a really difficult place and I'm struggling and I feel challenged and I'm crying out. In this case, you know, I'm crying out to God, like, why? This, you know, I, I wanted to start sabbatical in a place of joy and happiness. And instead I started in a place of loss and mourning and ended up conducting my mom's memorial service. The end of that month, the whole first month of my sabbatical was taken away. And so I was just crying. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was lamenting. I was doubting in ways I had never done before. So now I either have to beat myself up and feel guilty that I'm feeling these things or I have to give myself permission to go, you know what? When we go through hard times in life, it's okay to doubt. Mm -hmm. It's okay to, to lament. It's okay to be frustrated and not be okay when we've experienced deep loss. And I had a whole bunch of other losses that came along the way, which I, I won't get into all those. But <laughs> uh, yeah, this whole period of my sabbatical was characterized by deep loss and me being challenged by the reality, is it okay to doubt? to not be so certain about my own beliefs. And what ended up happening for me was I ended up finding more joy and more peace in that place of uncertainty than I did or ever had in a place of, of certainty or knowing exactly what I think about things. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, that kind of intrigues me. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what was that joy that you found? You know, what was that sort of experience of, and, you know, it sounds like you weren't even expecting it to go that way. <laughs> no, I wasn't. No. And I don't even know if I have a, a good concept or good explanation for it. I think it has to do with when you get come to a place where you realize you're letting go of control. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing is when I work, when I work with leaders and seeing, you know, anxiety or frustration, you might even get fired from a position because you have hold your role so tightly. You've held it so tightly. <laughs> and so what I think I realized was I was loosening my death grip, my control on so many issues. 
in my life, making it okay to not have to have it all figured out. And there's something with, you know, climbing off the throne, right? I, I had put myself almost in the place of God, and now I'm climbing off that place, realizing it's okay to just be human. And I can live into that humanness. And as long as I understand that I'm not going to be judged in that place or condemned in that place, mm -hmm. that there's grace to be in that place, and I'm not going to feel guilty, that is a far more joyful way to live. And so that's what I began to do uh, in some new ways a couple years ago and have been really kind of practicing that in deeper ways more recently. And it's hard because the one thing I realize is that not everybody might understand when we go through our own doubting or go through this place of deconstruction, anything like that. Um, and so we have to be okay to walk away from certain friendships, certain relationships, mm. and almost choose. My wife and I have this phrase right now that she had found was we need to choose friends for our future, not for our past, but sometimes hold on to certain friendships that are about our past. And, uh, and those are okay, right? If we can keep those friendships, awesome. But we have to realize that I can't change someone's views or I can't change someone's mind. I can share with them my story and my own journey, just as I'm sharing with you right now. And that can be a good and motivating thing, but I can't change someone's mind. But being able to let go of all of that, not try to control it, and to be able to just be calm and peaceful with that, relax and go, you know what, it's going to be okay. That feels more joyful. It feels more lighthearted, right? Mm -hmm. So it does. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the word that comes to mind as you're talking is, is liberation. And, and perhaps what I'm hearing is that even though control feels like, feels like control, um, really that is what has the grip on us. And in a way we're sort of bound to our own sense of everything has to fit within these boxes. Everything in my life has to uh, conform to my idea of what good, what is good or, or what is whole. <laughs> um, but that death grip, as you, as you sort of put it, uh, keeps us shackled rather than liberated. Right. right. Well said. So you're talking about this idea of deconstruction and, and uh, you know, I think that for all of us, as we go about our adult life, perhaps we have um, these moments or perhaps several moments of, of deconstruction where perhaps things from our family of origin get challenged or things from our previous way of thinking get challenged or uh, just life circumstances um, shake things up. Uh, and so deconstruction and inevitably happens, but it sounds like you're also pointing towards uh, perhaps a reconstruction. Um, and I know with you and with Soul Leader, uh, it's not just you preaching the stuff, that you have a team of people that you've um, assembled, almost like the Avengers <laughs> of, of, of holistic formation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, sort of what that reconstruction looks like and maybe even sprinkle in a little bit about how other people came alongside you in that reconstruction and, and help fill out this idea of holistic formation. Yeah, good. Thank you. So the first thing that comes to mind that I, I don't know if I can say it strongly enough is don't rush this process for yourself. I think many of us put pressure on ourselves that if we're going through some kind of deconstruction or whatever you want to call it, that we better hurry up mm -hmm. and, and get to reconstruction or we're not doing a good job, right? Or we're, or we're whatever. And we start feeling a bit guilty. And I would just say, 
don't do that. You need to give yourself a lot of self-compassion, whatever time that you need, because lifetime journey, this isn't just a quick fix by any means. So one, give yourself a lot of grace and latitude and compassion, especially in the midst of the times that we're living in right now, sure, right? Yeah. That we see around us, culturally speaking, politically speaking, the, the tensions and polarizations that exist all around us that are just so challenging. Mm -hmm. For me, though, to get more specific to your question, I think what ended up happening is I realized way back when I said, you know, that I thought the focus on maybe one area of formation, but not in others, I started looking for people, for mentors, uh, for wise people who were living um, were living out wholeness in various dimensions of their lives mm -hmm. in ways I was not exposed to or experienced with. So mm -hmm. for example, I had to, let's just take the emotional issue. I talked about my depression, right? Mm -hmm. I had to get around some wise people who had training in the kinds of things that you have training in, Gabe, right? Mm -hmm. that, that understood psychology and counseling and therapy and family systems and family of origin and, you know, needs a whole bunch of things and that was really important for me so i started reading books that i called healthy books because i <laughs> thought i had read a lot of unhealthy things over time and i was trying to distinguish between what were those things that were not helpful and what might be more helpful and mm -hmm. to find mentors in that so that was one thing I started doing was look um, for mentors that way. But I also started seeing these dimensions that I talked about, right? Like emotional, relational, mental, physical, spiritual, like gauges on a dashboard. And that became helpful for me um, to see them that in order for my car, to use this analogy, to be, to be able to go on a trip, I better make sure there are no red lights flashing on my dashboard. There are mm -hmm. those gauges are in the healthy zone. Okay. So I, I and just to, to be able to pay attention to those gauges. So I think I've become pretty aware or pretty good at be, being aware of what those gauges are. So in my own life, that's what I tried to do was in those different dimensions of formation, which I like to call them. Um, I, I like to see them as gauges on a dashboard and have good self-awareness around how they're doing. Now with that, again, there's a lot of grace because I don't need to be perfect in every one, right? Kind of like a gas tank, your gas tank can run low, but you better not let it get empty or you're going to be stranded somewhere. Yeah. So sometimes when my gauges are low, but I know that they're low and that's okay, but I know I need to pay attention to those maybe next week or next month, or I need to find a new mentor or a new friend to sit and talk with, or maybe it's a good counselor or therapist that I need to unpack some of the issues that I'm realizing are part of one of these dimensions and are causing my life to not work right, to not be integrated. Again, not perfect, mm -hmm. but yeah. to not be integrated in a way. So it moves me to self-reflection. And I, in this concept of self-reflection, I love to talk about these things with others. I like to journal, right? Which is just this externalization process that helps me to become a more self-reflective person. I love to take assessments. I love to read and research all those kinds of things. So I think that's an important process in the midst of our deconstruction or on that journey that you're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I think it also made me very aware mm -hmm. of the what is often called dualistic approaches or binary approaches or either or approaches that our culture takes to 
almost everything. And when I say our culture, I mean our Western culture, because I think there are other cultures that aren't uh, as, as bad at violating this as we are. But we see this binary either or dualistic deal. We see it in politics. It's in religion. It's in education. Um, and seeing things from this point of view can be so frustrating and is not very helpful. So understanding that, and again, moving from a dualistic approach to a holistic approach is why you don't need to live in certainty, right? Because if you can move to a holistic approach, that's where you can realize that's a far healthier way than just trying to be certain about something and control it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what I'm hearing in that is perhaps inherent in a dualistic approach is this sort of pendulum swing uh, where you you know, maybe are, are paying attention to, to one thing at the expense of another. Um, and it sort of becomes a zero sum game um, as opposed to, you know, what, what you're suggesting and what you're sort of describing as we're all in process. We're all sort of on this journey together. And, you know, we, we, we don't have to sort of sacrifice one area for the other. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's being able to see those things It it takes it's a good integration of good and bad would be another way psychologically maybe to say that right. right going back to the Kintsugi metaphor that I mentioned it's being able to realize that our life might feel really fragmented. There are broken pieces, but we are living in a process that is artistically reconnecting those pieces in a way that our life can show beauty through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, beauty in the fragments coming together as a whole back yeah. when that vessel is reassembled. One of the things I like to do often when I'm with a group and trying to do training in this area is I actually break a pot. I take a pot mm-hmm. uh, because there's this verse in scripture, right? That says we have this treasure in clay pots or jars of clay, um, which shows that we're fragile and our lives can break. And that's where we need to give ourselves the grace is to realize we are fragile and we can have fragments or what feel like fragments as part of our lives. But the good news is you don't have to stay stuck there. What does it mean to put those back together in an integrated way, in a whole way, not a perfect way, but in a way that still will show more beauty from the reality that you didn't just give up. You didn't just give into an addiction. You didn't just, you know, leave your spouse because it was too hard to work on, but you were willing to do the hard work relationally or the hard work personally to work on something in your own life. And then you could look back and go, can I tell you where I was? And can I tell you the journey, what it was like? And can I tell you why I'm thankful where I am right now? I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. It's the beauty of the journey all along the way but it's a much better place than where I was earlier. Yeah. So as you've been talking, you know, you've been alluding to some different mentors, some different people that you've been, uh, that have been impactful in your life. Uh, Obviously your wife has been a big part of that. And I think oftentimes when we imagine either self-growth or, or uh, development, I think oftentimes, especially in the West, we, we sort of think about it as an individual process of these are goals that I'm setting for myself. These are uh, habits that I'm going to change. These are behaviors that I'm going to change. Can you talk a little bit about how you've experienced and how you've seen uh, in your life or, or in, in the teams that you've worked with, a, a com- where does community sort of fit into wholeness? Yeah, it's so good. Um, 
I do think many of us, not all of us, but many of us have a default of doing things alone in a very isolated way. And I had to learn early on because I think that was probably my default as well. It was just to figure it out myself. And when I went through that depression, for example, I was trying to figure it out on my own. And that was not healthy. In fact, one of the first things I had to learn was this area of emotional formation um, that then led me to relational formation to understand that we need people in our lives. Um, that you can't grow without being around other people, even though sometimes we think we can. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, go spend some good time alone. And, you know, every, we all need time alone. And those of us that are more introverted and energized by being alone definitely need their time. But this is where the concept of community is so important. It's crucial. Um, it's absolutely required to the place where I would say, yeah, we cannot grow and move in this area if we don't have good community around us. And that means finding some new friends. Back in the day when I was going through that time, many people in my life did not have any grace or understanding for me going through the clinical depression that I did. So I had to realize they can't be my friends. I mean, I can still see them, but I need to find other friends who will give me the grace and understand that I go through that. I had to create new community. And I remember it taking me about six years to find some friends oh, wow. that understood that. So when people say, you know, this can be instant, it might take some time. It might mm -hmm. be hard work to do that. But I knew I needed a different kind of community different kinds of people. For us, it meant I, I left a job. It meant we moved uh, out of our house and moved to a different neighborhood. It meant that we changed churches, uh, all because I realized the community we had wasn't supporting the kind of wholeness and health and growth that we wanted to see in our marriage or in our family. Uh, or in my individual life, for that matter, as well. And so we made some radical decisions around community and what that would look like, and have had to do that even in the year since, that sometimes it means evaluating what is the what is the community around us? Is it, you know, for, it might be as simple as saying, is my church community providing for me what I need for those of us that have a church community community? <clears throat> is it providing the kind of nurture for this kind of growth? Or is it doing more to judge me or criticize or condemn or put burdens on my back? Um, and when we're in that place, I mean, I think you, you'll know that um, if you're feeling that kind of pressure, but it might mean the hard work of finding a new spiritual community that yeah. we can find support in. So yes, community is huge. And you might need to do some hard work to find new friends individually, what sometimes are called soul friends. Um, mm. Anamkara is an old concept out of Celtic spirituality. What does it mean to have a soul friend that I can journey with throughout life? It's a beautiful concept, but it also might mean something as practical as finding a new church community, even though that can be really difficult and sound painful. Now we're going to hit a word that is probably a favorite word on this podcast, which is uh, paradoxical. Because, you know, what you're describing sounds very paradoxical. On, on the one hand, you know, you're, you're talking about this idea of, uncer of uncertainty uh, and sort of letting go and letting go of that control. 
But on the other hand, there are certain truths that you're uh, pointing out in terms of wholeness and, and these different dimensions and certain things that that we should sort of put our stock into. Um, so how do you sort of reconcile this paradox of, on the one hand, uh, we have this disposition of openness, uh, but on the other hand, we do have to ground ourselves somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's good um, to be able to be able to understand these things. I think it really depends what we're going for. Um, and again, if, if, if we want to be in control, you're always going to be looking for certainty. So I think it really comes back to this issue of control again. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about trying to look for new uh, places of growth, new principles to apply, um, I think what I would add to that is to do it in a way that you're holding all those things loosely. Um, that when something works, like I, I mentioned, just trying to find new friends, for example, I had to go through a bunch of, this is right. It took six years. I had to go through a bunch of friends and realize those weren't going to be the kinds of friends that I wanted to hang out with. Mm -hmm. um, so once again, um, I wasn't trying to control it. I was holding it loosely enough to be like next, next, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. who do I call now? Who do I meet with now? And so, yeah, it's the posture in which we approach these things or the posture in which we hold them, um, which can be so important the way we approach it. You know, if, if we want though, to move to a place in our lives where we realize that we'll, we're never going to be able to control everything, uh, that there's a better way to live that rather than control or certainty, there's faith or trust um, there's peace that I've mentioned. There's, you used the word early on flourishing. What does it look like to live a life of, of flourishing, right? Where a lot of good things are happening. It doesn't mean bad things will never happen. It just mm -hmm. means our perspective might have a positivity to it that I don't dwell in the area of languishing so long that I'm like Eeyore, you know, with my whole sure. life or always negative. So it's a posture that I take or uh, I think we all have the potential and ability to take that allows us to know that uh, we're not trying to drive this thing. We're not trying mm -hmm. to control mm -hmm. this thing. We're not trying to prove something in our own lives. I guess that would be another way to look at it mm -hmm. that we're mm -hmm. not, because I think so many of us have issues with our own identity. We're trying to prove something to someone could be the, the father figure in our head, some authority figure from our past that said something to us that hurts deeply and we're mm -hmm. trying to prove it. We got to get to the place where we can go, you know what? I'm over that. I'm done with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It hurt when that person said that, or I know the expectations I had from, for me, it was a coach. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a coach growing up um, who was also the principal of the school who also was a teacher. So he was this authority figure in three different realms and sure. he was a father figure to me and uh, he was pretty harsh. And I think that's one of the reasons I became the perfectionistic kind of straight A student kid that I did because I was trying to please him. Mm -hmm. So maybe we need to ask ourselves, who are, who are we trying to please? What are the voices in our head that are there? And then what posture can I take so yeah. that I'm not trying to be in control of it so life can move toward something that is more flourishing, mm -hmm. characterized mm -hmm. by flourishing? Um, yeah. as a result. That's, I hope that is an answer to your question, but that's the way I see it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think posture is a good word because that's something that we can carry with us regardless of life circumstances. That that's something that we can take into, 
you know, whatever life throws at us. And along along that line, you know, I can imagine that certain people might be coming to this topic or coming to the the podcast today thinking, I don't feel whole. Uh, I, I feel like that is so far off. You know, w- what you're saying, uh, Michael, is, is really great. And I, and I wish that I, I want that for my life. But what about me right now? And, and you know, maybe another, you know, more spiritual term is, is like dark night of the soul. You know, I, I just feel like I'm in such a depression or a funk or, or I, I feel so far down or f- so far away from that. You know, what would you say to, to somebody like that? Great. Thanks for asking that question. Um, first of all, let me just refer to what you're talking about, the dark night of the soul. Um, I have felt like I have been living in the dark night of the soul for the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. So for those listeners that are in that place, wow, you're in good company. I'm in good company. You were in good company together. Um, they say that Mother Teresa was in dark night of the soul a majority of her life uh, after she passed away and people read her memoirs to realize, I want to say it was like, I don't know, it was 60 years. It was some ridiculous period of time. So yeah. very spiritual people, good people, grounded people can be in place places that feel very dark. So that's a reality. And I just want to say, you're okay. Um, Do not beat yourself up for being in that place. You know, I'm someone that works with pastors and churches and spiritual leaders. And so to admit and confess that I'm in a dark night of the soul, that's not really acceptable to do that. Mm -hmm. And yet what I find is by being honest, when I do that, what it does is it just gives others permission to go, maybe that's what I'm struggling with as well. Hmm. And so, yeah, that's an important concept, I think, to understand that it's okay to live in that place and be in that place. And like I said, don't beat yourself up. Don't guilt yourself with these things. But here's what I would say to be real specific to your question is, yeah, to, to be whole sometimes feels unreachable, but I think it could be because we have an improper definition of what we define as wholeness, mm-hmm. right? So I've been working hard to not define it as perfection. Yeah. Um, I think we have this vision sometimes of God, for those of us that are seeing things spiritually, that has this, you know, this, this old grandpa-like figure, you know, sitting on a throne that's just waiting for us to do something wrong. And if we do something wrong, he's like angry, you know, this, this is, this is one way I often ask people to, um, uh, to answer this question. If you were to say, what, what facial expression do you perceive God to have as, as God would be looking on you? Or maybe more practically for some people it would be to ask, like, if you were to look in the eyes of Jesus, would, what expression would Jesus have looking at you? Hmm. And so often it's disappointment, anger, frustration, as an answer, because I think many of us have a perception in our head of God just as that. And I would Mm -hmm. say, no, something's gone wrong. If that is our perception rather than a, a, you know, a a facial expression of love or Mm -hmm. acceptance or, or goodness. Um, Because as we'd read in scripture, I think that's what we see of God being able to embrace Mm -hmm. um, God's creation that way with a sense of love. But then real practically speaking, I would say when, you know, we might feel frustrated about how do you even get there? Mm -hmm. I would say, start with just one thing. 
I, I mentioned a lot of dimensions earlier, right? When I talked about the gauges on a dashboard, right? We talked about physical, emotional, relational, et cetera, those things. Uh, and you can find those on our website if you want to like find more resources. We've got some things there and a tool there on an assessment that you can actually take uh, about these things. And so I would say just find one, just one place where you can start. And don't worry about the other ones for now. Find the one that might feel the most exciting for you to be able to work on this week or this month, you know, physical. I tell people that's sometimes one of the most neglected but easiest places to start. Physical formation, what is that? We like to describe it as paying attention to things like our nutrition, the things we eat, our exercise and movement. Things like sleep um, and rhythms of rest and our stress management, the things that deal with adrenaline and stress. So those are the four areas that I talk about when I think about physical formation. Well, that's pretty easy to find one of those that you could do. One simple one, maybe in this day and age that we're living in right now, right, in the midst of pandemic and all the stresses that we have, is that maybe we just need to sleep more. Our brains need to, to defragment um, and we need better <laughs> sleep and we haven't been sleeping well. So there's things you can do to practically find better sleep, like going to bed earlier, not looking at screen before you go to bed, not drinking caffeine later on in the day, having a journal next to your bed that if you start worrying about something, you can write some things down there, mm -hmm. right? Lings go before you sleep, uh, sleep with eye covers and earplugs if you need to. All of these things we can do that enhance one thing, our sleep, which is going to contribute to our physical formation. Mm -hmm. And that might be enough. You can do one thing, right? It might just be drink more water. You're not hydrated <laughs> enough, right? Yeah. So they're very simple things you can do as we look at the parts that are going to, con I guarantee it, they're going to contribute to the whole in your life. Mm -hmm. And you can do those. And that's where I like to think sometimes, and I'll just spend some time talking with folks to say, what's one area that you feel like really could make a, an, a difference if you paid some attention to that one thing? And that's really empowering. Because we all can do one thing. And then don't beat yourself up when it comes to all the other things you know you need to worry. Because you've got next month or next year to worry about those things. And that's the way I look at my life in terms of dealing with these dimensions. And now all of a sudden I'm moving toward wholeness over a period of time and don't even often realize how I moved. Mm -hmm. I just did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that is helpful that when we think about wholeness or, or, or when we try to imagine, okay, there's all these dimensions of wholeness, it, it can feel overwhelming at times of, oh my gosh, like totally. uh, I, I, I'm neglecting this, I'm neglecting that. And we start taking an inventory of my life and we start sort of stacking up the to-do list. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. So, you know, I think that's really helpful. So the other thing I wanted to get into is organizations, because you work, uh, you know, not just with individuals, but also with organizations as well. And so within organizations, there's all these different dynamics, all these different levels, all these different uh, sort of hierarchies. How do you conceptualize wholeness within an organization? And is it sort of like a triple, uh, a trickle down, a trickle up? Like, how, how do you work with people who are coming uh, into an organization with with different roles. Yeah, that's helpful. So I have found it easiest to begin with um, those that are leading the organization, right? Because you can only go as high as your leaders go. So if I can work with the leaders in that organization, 
and especially a group of leaders. So, you know, the upper level team, executive team, et cetera. Um, and then they begin to understand and implement some of these things in their lives. So starting with leaders is really important, but then they're can be a trickle-down effect to the organization. But the one caveat I would say is you need to understand that every organization has an organizational culture, mm. right? Edgar Schein wrote this great book organizational on organizational culture many years ago, and it gets revised all the time. But we need to understand that certain organizations won't allow certain change to take place, even if the leader is trying to lead it in that way. So this is where I like to view organizations um, in the same understanding of family systems, right, that you as Gabe would, would see. And so when we work with organizations, we try to do that from a family systems perspective so that organizations have the same kind of dynamics that families have. And so that's how we work with organizations to realize that all organizations want stability, for example, what's called homeostasis, for example, they're just fighting for that. Well, you might not see that. You might not know that. But if you realize that that's what's trying to be protected, now you know how to implement change, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing that, or there might be a lot of triangling that's taking place with people talking to other people with pretty destructive things. And if sure. that's not addressed from a relational way, a lot of unhealth is going to continue. So yeah, we try to look at it from a sense of what we call um, organizational formation mm -hmm. or cultural formation, um, an understanding that there is an organizational culture. And I think Peter Drucker, the father of modern management, at least this statement is attributed to him that mm -hmm. says um, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week. It was a quote, so something to that effect. In other words, the culture of an organization is always going to win. It doesn't matter how much strategy you think you can bring. So no matter what kind of great leader you think you are to be able to implement strategic practices, um, strategic planning, which are all fine and good things, but the culture might always win there. So we need to be able to pay attention to those things. And so we like to draw those things out, help leaders and organizations understand those things, and then implement incremental change, which would be the same as we're talking about here in terms of understanding uh, various dimensions of formation and say, where do we need to start? Uh, what do we need to pay attention to? Maybe it's mental formation. Maybe it's the way we think about ourselves. Maybe we have a lot of toxic ways of thinking that's impacting the way we see ourselves as an organization or the message that we're giving out to others. And that needs to change. Mm -hmm. So we use kind of the same paradigm of, of holistic formation and getting at it, but a very family systems approach and or understanding organizational culture in doing so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. It's not just as a, a person in, in psychology, but, you know, I think also, you know, recognizing that there are systems all around us. Uh, and, you know, again, going back to the idea of community, you know, who we surround us with can play a big role. And, and I think for some of us, we, we go to work and, and that's a system and we, we sort of meld into that culture. I think, Another thing culturally that we can all sort of relate to is COVID, which is going on right now. And, you know, I think that that is not only shaking up our, our daily routine, uh, but also causing us to rethink uh, some of our, our daily routine or, or some of uh, doing some self-reflection on, 
what is my life right now? So can you talk a little bit about how you've been conceptualizing some of these ideas, whether it's certainty, whether it's wholeness, in light of this pandemic that we're experiencing? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I really believe the COVID pandemic has challenged our desire for certainty in ways that they've never been challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, because most of us have not lived through a pandemic, so yeah, it is it is playing with us in ways. It is pushing our buttons in ways and creating realities that you know, we never knew existed. I I read one research thing a couple of weeks ago that was saying it was describing how torture is done on people and showing how continual uncertainty over time in something like a pandemic is parallel to the methods of torture. So, I mean, literally, (laughs) we're being tortured by not knowing what's around the corner. Yet at the same time, that's why it's so important to understand why certainty shouldn't be what we're going for. Doesn't mean the realities of COVID aren't incredibly challenging because they are incredible losses, incredible trauma, um, incredible uh, stress and and pain and, and, and loss of life. So those are huge realities. But we can be certain of a few things, right? Um, we, COVID is a real thing. I know there are some that, you know, conspiracy theorists that think that COVID is not a real thing, but scientists are telling us COVID is a real thing. And it has been devastating. Mm-hmm. So if we just start there, that can kind of bring some calmness, I think, toward understanding that, yes, this is real. Yes, it is devastating. And I can only do what's in my power mm-hmm. to be able to address it from a day-to-day basis, stay as healthy as I can be, work on my own immune system, wear masks like we've been asked to do in appropriate ways, for example, you know, would be some examples of that. But maybe a little 30,000 foot bigger picture is, is the degree we try to live in a place of certainty or control is the degree to which we're going to feel ongoing anxiety or stress or depression, et cetera. So going back to what we said earlier, this is where, as it relates to COVID, I think we need to just learn to hold everything loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us now at this place are hearing it said, you know, it, it's not going to be until the middle of next year that, you know, normal, whatever that looks like might return. Others, now I'm hearing 2022 as a year where normal might return. We don't know how much longer this is going to take. So how do we live in good ways in the midst of that? Because I really believe we can. There can be a different kind of of living into goodness or what sometimes we like to talk about as soul leaders, living into kingdom goodness or the goodness of the kingdom of God, even though the realities around us seem really dark Mm -hmm. in the things that we face. Um, so yeah, I think we have to let go of our need for certainty, let go of control, but to realize this is a real thing. And from day to day, I need to make some small decisions Mm -hmm. about my own nurture, for example. Um, how do I take care of myself? Um, and I think structure is a way to do that, having certain rhythms within our day. Maybe it's mm-hmm. taking a daily walk. Maybe it's getting up early and having a good cup of coffee that you sit down with, um, you know, a, your Bible or a good book or your journal or something and spend some time reflecting on uh, what your day is going to look like. I find for me that when I can bring encouragement to others, words of affirmation, words of hope, words of love, I feel better when I do that. 
that because I've, I've been struggling in this. I, you know, I feel like I've been tortured, like I've yeah. said, and I've had my own sense of, of struggle. I mean, other stresses and stuff, as you know, right? Our, mm-hmm. We had fires near our home and had to evacuate last week from our home, which was huge trauma, had some health issues that I've had to have a brain MRI last week for and other things. So on top of pandemic, I'm having other trauma. We all have traumas and loss in our life. How can we apply some of the most simple, practical, daily uh, rhythms and practices, what are often called practices or even spiritual disciplines to our lives so that we can make it through this incredibly difficult time that we're all living through together. You know, one day we'll look back on this and go, well, remember when we lived through 2020 and COVID and all that, and we will have stories to tell but um, it's so hard. It is so challenging. And my, my heart and empathy goes out to all your listeners in the places that they're finding themselves in mm-hmm. that are so incredibly challenging right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when you're describing, um, you know, disciplines or some of the uh, ways that you're being intentional with holistic formation or, or different um, formations in, in a lot of these senses, you know, I, I sort of am thinking about the perhaps back and forth between being in, intentional versus perhaps some of the things that uh, become habits over time. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you've sort of seen that in your own life of, you know, I'm guessing that you're not necessarily going through 24 hours a day thinking, okay, I'm doing physical formation now, I'm doing spiritual formation now, I'm doing emotional formation now. You know, obviously there are some intentional things that you're doing to to build up some of those habits, but what's been your experience in terms of what has bled into the habitual and what do you still need to stay intentional about? Yeah, great question. No, I don't. I'm not doing them all at once. So that takes the pressure off, right? Of feeling like I need to pay attention to all those gauges all at once. I think you need to pay attention to them. You just can't work on all of them all mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. So I try to pay attention to what's going on in my life right now. So let's just say a, a month, a couple months ago, I realized that my thinking was really impacting my emotional uh, spirit. I was feeling really down, really depressed, really anxious, but it was related to my thinking. So for me, that's mental formation. So I'm like, okay, I have to pay attention to that. And what I did was something I've done many times over the last number of years. I utilize a process from uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neuroscientist and has some great programs. And there's this app she's created. It used to be uh, just an online software uh, or web-based deal called a 21-day brain detox. Now it's in a thing called the Switch app that I have found so helpful. So I'm like, I think I need to do that. I need to spend the next 21 days spending about a half hour a day applying myself to my mental formation because my thinking, my toxic thinking is really messing me up. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am not in good shape. So I did. I spent three weeks doing that. And oh, it was so helpful to be able to just spend three weeks in this area of mental formation. And by the end of that time, again, it doesn't solve every problem, but my thinking was so much healthier. It had moved from a toxic state of thinking to a healthy state of thinking. So that's one practice. 
it's something simple that my wife and I did way back when COVID first started was we realized we like to take walks together. Let's just do a daily walk. So that's covering both physical formation, getting out and walking two, three, four miles, uh, something like that. And it's covering relational formation because we're spending good time talking with each other um, and spending time together, a real simple to do. Um, for me, again, back to the relational, we've already spent some time talking about the importance of community, but I do think it's huge to be able to, to go, what, uh, who are the people that I need to be with, which mm -hmm. is hard and challenging, right? Because many of our uh, places we might hang out with people have been challenged that we can't do that. So it might mean a phone call or it might mean a Zoom chat or whatever we would do to be able to connect. And we have to work a little harder to make that happen, but we need that. So I've been doing that, looking for ways that where am I feeling, you know, kind of low relationally? Who's a person I need to spend time with this week that I feel joyful when I'm around that person? Because that kind of ups my spirit, um, my relational formation. Um, I realized on the spiritual side, living in this dark night of the soul, like I talked about already, that I need something. I normally see a spiritual director and spend time talking, but that's been challenged with COVID that I can't have a one-on-one -on -one meeting. I can do that by Zoom or on, you know, by, by telephone and such. But I joined last week a virtual um, spiritual retreat that I'd never done an online virtual spiritual retreat that has four retreats over the next um, like year period of time. And I'm like, you know, I don't really have the time for this, but I, I feel like I need it. And so I did. And I ended up joining that to be able to interact with people about those spiritual things. Because being in a dark night of the soul, prayer is difficult. God seems distant. Those things are hard. And that even last week, it was like a, it was like a day and a half last week. That was helpful. For me to be able to do and it was real practical and this one was free so it didn't even cost me any money to be able to do so there are some good resources out there that you can choose in these in various areas right I, I could speak to each of the dimensions that i've mentioned but that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to look like what's something that this week or this month um mm -hmm. i need to pay attention to that i'll focus on for a while and then I'll see what comes up next. Um, I, I'm a planner, but I don't think it's real wise to like plan out. I'm going to work on this one this month and this one next month. I think listen deeply to your own heart, to your own spirit. Um, uh, listen and pay attention to that. And with a process of discernment, it's often called. See what rises up as something you might need to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And I think that alleviate some of the pressure to the way that you're describing it sounds a lot more like an organic process that it's not necessarily something as you mentioned that we have to itinerize or, or schedule out exactly um but you know sort of uh, i like that word that you use listen uh, to sort of listen to um where we're at and perhaps observing those gauges as you sort of described yeah. um and you know, you've already touched on this a little bit, but I sort of wanted to revisit, you know, I think that for the control freaks, like, uh, you know, like I can be, or, or like other people can be, I think that, you know, if, if we sort of take these things that you're describing, these different areas of, of formation, I think in, you know, perhaps Christian language, I think that 
there's ways that we could make idols out of these, uh, that we sort of idolize physical formation or spiritual formation, that it sort of becomes an ultimate thing um, that we just sort of become consumed by or sort of preoccupied by. You know, what, what sort of suggestions do you have to sort of keep it at an appropriate place in our life where it is something that is important to us, but it doesn't become an all-consuming sort of thing? Hmm. Yeah, it's another hard question um, because it can, and it's going to be different for everybody, right? Of the thing that becomes our idol or the thing we overemphasize, or it maybe even is related to our own um, capacities or even our own addictions, which mm-hmm. might lean us in a certain direction that we might get captivated by one. The thought that comes to my mind is that we need to pay attention to the whole. We need to move away again from the dualistic places where we tend to end up in either or and move back to what is both and look like and seeing things as a whole. If we can keep that out in front of us as our vision to move toward that wholeness, that integration, that completeness, I think it goes a long way toward getting stuck in any one area or from idolizing any one thing, because we'll always be challenged by the rest of those dimensions, the rest of those parts of our lives. But I would also say it's good to make sure in community, which you were so wise to bring up, that we would allow our lives to be vulnerable with others and we'd give them permission to say, hey, you know, I'll say to you, hey, Gabe, can you let me know if you see me getting out of balance um, in one of these areas? And I don't think balance is necessarily the, I try to not even use the word balance because I don't think any of us ever are living in balance. I just don't. (laughs) I think we hop around from thing to thing and we're always out of balance, but I love wholeness. And there's a difference between wholeness and balance Mm. to me in the way I define those things. But if I give you permission to speak into my life and say to me, uh, you know, hey, if you think I'm spending too much time in an area or I'm going off the deep end, will you tell me? It takes vulnerability and some humility. But I think that's a good safeguard as well to prevent against focusing too much on an area. And maybe one final one would be um, to realize we can't do or maybe shouldn't do or it's not wisest to do any of these alone so there are resource people in all of the areas right i mentioned physical formation there there's nutritionists and personal trainers that can help us with our our physical bodies and why our bodies are so important as our doctors and medical professionals and health professionals in in emotional formation there are therapists and counselors that can that are there to help us when we have to face issues that are too deep for us to go to. In the spiritual side, there are spiritual directors um, that are meant to help us see what how God is already at work in our lives and not be able to see that. Or spiritual friends, like I mentioned, that Anamkara concept of a spiritual friend or soul friend who can walk with us intentionally in relationship to be able to do that. Um, And in mental formation, it might be a sage or a wise person that we know or someone that can help think. It could be a counselor therapist as well that can help us think about our toxic thinking and how we need to pay attention to those kinds of things. We might need just a a coach in our life that can help us in any one of these areas. Life coaching and health and wellness coaching and leadership coaching is big today. And we might need a coach that can help point out some of the ways that we might be, uh, you know, heading off in a way 
that might not be as helpful. So resource people in our lives is something I always like to stress and yeah. encourage others that on this journey of holistic formation, don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Find some other people, some wise people um, to, to go on that journey with you. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I, I really appreciate you talking with us today. It's been very enlightening, you know, for, for people who might be interested in more, you know, who might have a church or organization that, you know, they're thinking, oh, this sounds really great. I'd like to learn more. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about what Soul Leader is? What's your mission? Um, and who do you sort of minister to? Yeah. Love to do that. Yeah. Soul Leader Resources. Yeah. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, you can find us online at soulleader.org. That's one L S O U L E A D E R.org. And what we do, we don't have a one size fits all approach to anything. We take this concept of wholeness, what we've been talking about here, and that becomes our paradigm for everything we do. We do trainings um, with churches and organizations, um, we do coaching, both individual coaching team coaching, organizational coach coaching at all different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we love to do that. Uh, we do spiritual direction. We have some spiritual directors that are part of our team for people that are looking for that. We have some therapists that are part of our team mm-hmm. as well uh, for that. Uh, that is such an important area. So we try to be resource people and provide for either individuals or leaders and pastors or churches and other organizations or whatever, uh, whoever we might be working with, whatever resource they might need. So we go through a process of just listening and just asking, what do you need um, as you would come to us and see if we can match some of the resources that we have to the needs that you have to help you become more whole in whatever it is that you're looking for. And we absolutely love doing it. Um, If you've got more questions about that, anybody could feel free also to just email me directly uh, at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at soulleader.org. And I'd be happy to just reply to your email as well. um, If you've got any other further questions. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Been great being a part of this today with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. Still have questions? Oh good, I was afraid we answered them all. For more information about HQ&A podcast, visit drgabelow.com. That's D-R-G-A-B-E-L-O-W-E.com. Additional educational materials recommended by my guests can be found in the podcast tab. And for the updates, news, and behind the scenes, follow HQ&A podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HQ&A P-O-D. HQA Podcast is independently produced by Gabriel Lowe. Music is Cocktail Fun by Stock Music 331, found on Pond 5. And logo design is by Kenny Lowe. Stay tuned for new episodes released each Wednesday. And thank you for joining me on the journey of no answers.